The thought I want to start with has to do with population. We know that in the world right now, global population is an issue, right? How do we manage the increasing numbers of people with the limited resources we have? We need our finest minds to put themselves into this task so that we can be the stewards of this planet that we are called to be. It's an issue. We'll see. And we should be praying for our planet. We should be praying for these scientists that God will give them wisdom to help them, help us know how to care for it. We are stewards. We are the very first Christians, the very people, the very first stewards of this planet. We should be doing whatever we can for it and really supporting all those who are on that side. That's God's side. It's his planet. He cares about the plants and the trees and he cares about his people. But what if tomorrow... In the news, we get this press release that all the doctors, all the hospitals, all the scientists have startling news. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, there are no new babies being born. There is a 0% birth rate. No babies being born. They're shutting down maternity wards. All those nurses and doctors are going out of business and being laid off. Families are wanting children and no children are being born and no amount of in vitro fertilization. And it's just there's no babies being born. Zero percent birth rate. The crisis would go in that day instantly from an overpopulation crisis to an extinction crisis. What are we going to do to make sure that we don't all die out? If there's no new babies being born, we don't have this overpopulation crisis. We've got an extinction crisis, and all of our energies would shift. And it would shift overnight. We'd also recognize that something is wrong. Because any kind of just normal, healthy human population will have children. Some will have more than others. Some won't be able to. Some will have some, some will have a few, like there are, but within the entire population, if there are, something's wrong. And we would start to analyze, what's going wrong? Why are there no children anywhere? This impacts our planet. This impacts our future. This impacts our families. This impacts our love. There are people in this congregation that have suffered through that pain of inability to have children. And in some cases, God has brought children. In other cases, he has not. We've been alongside, shoulder to shoulder, with families walking through that. So we pray for that. God, help the healing to come. Bring the miracles because we know that life is your plan. You're a God of life. You want life. So if something's not happening, if new life is not coming, what's going wrong? There was a, a church, I don't know what to call him, analyst, you know, looking at churches across the globe. He studied churches on all continents. And he, he looked at why some churches grew and why some churches didn't. And he said, you know, the gospel grows. And so we don't need to be looking for all these plans to help churches grow. God does miracles. The gospel grows. So if we're not growing, we have to look instead at what are we doing to stop the gospel from growing? How are we hindering what God's automatically going to do? If the Spirit's at work and we're preaching the word and living as redeemed people, that's infectious and contagious and powerful and the gospel's going to grow. So he looked at it and said, if there's no church growth, something's wrong because God's got no problem doing miracles. And the gospel's got no problem transforming lives. So if we're not seeing it in the planet... The danger is we're going to have a 0% birth rate as a church. And if church is family, like we talked about last week, if God is our Father, 
then it should hurt our heart in the same way if the Christian kingdom, the church of God, has a 0% birth rate. The exact same way it would hurt us is if our friends, dearest, closest friends, are like, we want kids and we can't have them. But we don't know what's wrong or if it's a timing thing or if God's saying wait or if he's saying no. I don't know if we should adopt or if we should go through in vitro. Like, I There's pain involved there because there's a desire because we recognize that's how God has made things to be. But somehow in the church... We don't hurt that same way when people are not coming to Christ. And we think of it the wrong sort of way, like, how can we help our church grow? It's not about the church growing. It's about the kingdom growing. It's about God's family growing. And it should really strike us that a 0% birth rate in God's family is a crisis. The thing is, you cannot be born into God's family by birth. You understand that? You cannot be born into God's family. You can be born into a Christian family, but we are born into the human race, sons of Adam, fallen people. The only way to become a part of God's family is through adoption. Only way in. We want that dad to be our dad, but no one's born into his family. Everybody's born into this family, but we want to get into the only way is to cut ties with this family, to stand here and say, God, I want to be in yours, and to hear him calling and saying, come, all are welcome. I've got a house with plenty of room. All are welcome. I want to be your father. And when you come to my house, you will be my children. You receive the inheritance. You receive my name. You receive a new identity, and it's all good. But the only way in is through adoption. We recognize in that moment that all of us who are believers really need to play the role of spiritual social workers. Recognizing that the world is full of people living in dysfunctional, destructive families. Satan's house is not a good house. It kills the people that live there. The flesh, our bodies are not reliable. We are fickle and sinful and weak. Unless God redeems us out of that, takes us out of that family, we're just going to live in it and die in it. So we need to be people that say, I know about this family with the healthy, functional, life-giving father. And I want all these people that are not in it to be in it. I'm the middleman. It's not my house. It's not your house. It's God's house. But we've been adopted in, and we've tasted and seen that it's good. And so then we stand in the middle between Adam's children and Christ's children. First Adam was one of flesh. The second Adam was one of spirit. Jesus comes and says, you can be born again. You can be welcomed into this family, but you cannot be born into it. It does not matter if you're born into a Christian family. That does not make you a member of God's house. It's not about being born, and it's not about belonging. You can't just belong to a church and be a part of God's house. That's not how it works. It's just like going to someone's house for dinner. That doesn't mean you have their last name and you're getting a share of their inheritance. You just visited them for dinner. It's their house. You live next door. You can't belong in a membership of some sort, a Christian club, a Christian organization, into varsity, a local church. That's not how it works. It's not about belonging to a club or a church. And it's not about being born. And the one that we usually fall into is it's not about behavior. You can't do the right thing and that make it that you're in this God's family. 
Doing the right thing has nothing to do with it because none of us can do the right thing all the time, but Jesus did. And he redeems us for our sins. He cuts the cord. No more debt. He says, you're mine now. And then when we're his, we still stumble and fall sometimes. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That sort of thing. He's like, well, you're part of the family. When our kids sin in our house, does that cut the cord for their identity, their DNA? Do they stop looking like us? Do they stop having their grandfather's eyes because they you know, didn't clean their room? Do you disown them because they left the door open to the backyard again and it's freezing and you pay for heat and don't they realize they don't live in a barn? Right? No, it's not about behavior. Bad behavior doesn't keep you away from God and good behavior doesn't make him love you more. He just loves everybody and he loves every single one of these lost children because they're still his kids, even if they rebel. But he knows they can't be born into his kingdom. They can't belong their way into it. And they can't act right and have good enough behavior to get there. The only way into God's kingdom is through adoption. If we have not said, God, adopt me. I cut the cord of my old life. I want to be in your family. We are not in his family. But then once we're in, all the rights and privileges, all the help, all the wisdom. You know, he's the father who's like, let me talk to you about that. The one who pulls you aside is like, mm-mm-mm. That's going to be a lot of consequences you don't know right now, but I've lived a few more years than you, and I'm telling you, don't do that. But he's not just a rule monger. He's there every step of the way. He's like, here, let me give you help. Let me give you some more Holy Spirit. Let me give you a little bit more love. Let me give you a little bit more wisdom. This is what comes with being part of our family. You can have this. You can have this. I've got plenty. I want to give more. We play the role of middlemen. Spiritual social workers. And so I want to look at scriptures today that can encourage us in that role. And then as we stay after today and try to encourage our civil servants who operate in that beautiful role, caring for kids who are in traumatic situations, so traumatic in some cases they have to be torn out of their family and put in a home with strangers, that we can identify with them and say, you know what, that's me in a way as a believer. It's not enough that we have our identity in Christ. Last week we said our identity has to match our reputation. The world has to look at us and say, oh, those are God's people. They live in God's house. Those are his kids. They're different. But our reputation also has to go a step further. And it has to be reaching out. There has to be invitation to the world. God so loved the world, he sent his son that whoever would come to him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life, living in God's house with Father God forever. So it starts with who are you, (laughs) and then it goes to our reputation, but you're not just trying to live right ourselves. We're we're middlemen, we're mediators, intermediaries between the house of God, which we've been adopted into, and we say it's good, and the house we grew up in. We're like, man, I know that that's destructive. And the life cycle, or the the lifestyle, and the habits and the thought patterns that I grew up with too, because I grew up in this house, Man, I know where they lead. They just lead to death. Seems like all good ideas, but it doesn't get anywhere. But this goes somewhere. It actually goes a real long distance. It goes for eternity, and it's good. But if we're not playing that role of spiritual middle man, then we're not going. We're not making disciples. We're not reaching out. Romans 10, how can someone believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone tells them? So blessed and beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Go out, out in our roles to try to help people into God's house. Not our house, God's house. So there's three scriptures we're going to read. The first one is in Ephesians, and it's Ephesians chapter 1. 
Then we're going to move back to Galatians and back to Romans. Three chunks of strip, scripture that all talk about this adoption process. And I want you to, to keep it in mind because there might be some in this place that have tried to be in God's house through being born into God's house. My family goes to church. I go to church. There may be some in this room that have tried to like belong at church by going to church. I try to do the right thing. I try to read my Bible. I try to go to church. I try to go to Bible study. There might be some here that have tried to like behave well enough to get into heaven, to be in God's house, kind of like the scale thing. Well, I've done more good than I've done bad, and, or I'm not as bad as this person. The Bible says, eh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you want to measure my sin against your sin? What's that going to get us? We both just sin, and sinful from birth. It's hereditary, sorry. But redemption is adoptive. I'm going to read through this passage here, Ephesians chapter 1, explain a little bit about it, and then we'll, we'll go to the other two to kind of fill in all the rich, rich details. Adoption is one of the richest and most complex and beautiful pictures that God gives us of entering his kingdom. So that's what we're going to dwell on today. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a letter, right? So here's the prescript here. Paul, who's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, who wrote it, to the saints, to the Christians, who are in Ephesus and faithful to Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That means payment, redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. God has been working from before time began to set up a process whereby we have the option. We have his call. We have the effectual work of Christ on the cross. We have his spirit. We have his redemption to make any of this possible. Jesus is not a fix-it plan for a mistake that humanity made. Jesus is God's plan for a fallen people to be redeemed, and he's been setting it up Forever. And he calls us. 
so that those who heard the word of truth might respond. In him we're predestined to be adopted as his own children, cutting the cords with all of our former debt so that we might receive his inheritance. And it's through Jesus. And that's the gospel. Now, the interesting thing about this word adoption, the Greek word for it is huiothesia. Don't even ask me to spell it. Don't even worry about it. Write it if you want. But huiothesia. Huio means son. And thesia means placed as, placement. Literally, someone is being placed as a son someplace else. And so we read adoption, and we just think about whatever we know about adoption. But this word that Paul picked actually describes a ceremony that went on in Greek culture all the time. There's writings about it. Nero himself was adopted into Julius Caesar's family, and it meant certain things and for certain people. But the way they went about it is they came down to the central square, and they had scales and pieces of copper. And the father of the son would kind of figuratively sell his son and then buy him back two times. I release my son from my family. I sell him, but then I buy him back because he's mine. I release him, and then I buy him back, and the scales and the copper were for selling and buying. But the third time, he would sell his son, he would release him, and he would not purchase him back. So the son was left with no family, no nothing, independent. The adoptive father would then step in and speak to the magistrate in that moment and offer his case for why he would like to adopt, and he would give the copper. He would redeem the child back the third time. At that moment, the child's name would change. He would be literally be placed in another family. All the inheritance of this family became equally his with all the other children. No distinction between birth and adoption. You are full rights as sons. Any debt that he had before was cut. Erase all your debt. You're no longer part of that family. That was your old self. That's gone. No debt. So anything was left unpaid, just left unpaid. Moving on. And the father from before had no claim over that child any longer. That father could never say, I want you to do this. I need you to do this. But fathers were this huge part of Roman culture, so much that at any time in a son's life, the father had power of life and death over him. There's a couple of examples I read about this week that were fascinating to me, where a Roman father would give the judge authority to kill his son, whose son was like a grown man because of some like crime against the Roman Empire. The father submits his son to be put to death. So like this power of the father over the son was significant, even to the death penalty, through the course of the son's life, as long as the father lived. But that father didn't have that right anymore. Now the new father had all those full rights. A transfer of Identity, a transfer of name, a transfer of gifts, a cutting of cord of debts. How's that for a description of the gospel? That is perfect. We're all born as fleshly people with a, a father, call him Adam, you know, this, this generational birth into the human race, the sinful human race, and it comes with a lot of debt, a lot of guilt. And then over the course of our lifetimes, we accumulate a lot more debt and a lot more guilt. It would be nice if we could just blame our parents for all our problems, but we can't. We've got to look in the mirror for quite a few of them ourselves. But that's old father stuff. Jesus cuts that cord, places us through adoption into a new family. We get a new name, new benefits, new inheritance, new everything, but also new authority. Lordship of Christ. Sovereignty of God. All right, God, I'm yours. 
I'm in your house. House rules. You tell me for as long as I shall live. That's the adoption concept in Roman culture. For us, instead of scales and copper pieces, we usually pray, right? We'd like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. We'd like to pray, God, forgive me for all my sins. So we do it a different way. Maybe we should use copper and scales. We'll bring some in. And we'll have someone be sold twice and then have Jesus buy him back the third time. But Jesus did redeem us. He paid a price. So that's the third, sell and buy. Jesus' blood, he purchased us back. We are not our own. And there's the gospel again. So you see the riches ever. Let's go back to the book of Galatians, or actually forward. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, where are we? Galatians, I think it is, yeah, chapter 4. So back one book to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Let's just let it keep speaking to us. We need to be encouraged that this is our story. This is our story. This is our Father God. This is our family. And then we need to take it after we read these passages, just think about what it means outward. What does it mean to invite someone into that family? So Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul again, writing to a different city this time, saying, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. He's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive sonship placement, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. If you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Don't miss that. That's changing the authority from us. Being, All right, God, I'm coming after you. I'm, I want you. I, I choose you to know God. He receives us. He calls us. He predestines us. He draws us in. He redeems. It's, this is God's work. Go ahead and try to save ourselves. That will never work. So rather, be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? No. Don't live in the beautiful house doing all the dirty things that were part of your last family. Don't live like that because that's not who we are anymore. It's got no place in the Father's house. Flip back to your books, the book of Romans, for our third and final passage. Chapter 8. Probably one of the most triumphant, beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. And it talks exactly about this adoption. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment, no debt, no punishment. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has cut the cord, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit." 
To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and it's peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. It's like a child trying to adopt himself or herself into a family. It can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh if the spirit, but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are then, brothers, debtors. We are indebted, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, sonship placement. As sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is our identity. But without us taking it a step forward out into the world, God's family with all of this beauty has that danger of a 0% birth rate. Now, God is sovereign, so he'll even make the rocks and stones cry out. But it's the call of his kids to step back to the world and say, it's way better over here. And remember, we had these seven things last week. We said these define what the identity of God's family looks like. God's people love and they listen, they serve and they share, they recognize and they pursue and they pray. These seven things define what a Christian was. And we said, that can't just be our identity. That has to be the reputation that we have. I point to those same seven things this Sunday and I say, those are actually all invitations. Those are also all, those are not only the way that we should live, those are the perfect ways to interact with the world who does not have that stuff. You take what God's family has, these things, and you stand over here with them amongst others, you will stand out. When you sit next to someone on a, a bench next to a basketball game and you li- love them, you have an affection, you listen to them and value them, you think, what can I do to help this person? What can I share about God's family, about who I am, my identity? What can I talk to them about? When you recognize their worth, what are un believers worth less? Not in God's opinion. He's made every person beautiful and with purpose, and he's looking to adopt. But you can't be born into this family. You can't belong your way in or behave your way in. You have to be adopted. It's Jesus' role. We've all been adopted. We're supposed to stand back here, recognize the beauty of each person, recognize the beauty of the homeless person, that you don't even want to shake their hand because you're afraid of what you might come away with. But instead, you give them a hug, and you bury your face in their neck as you're hugging them with the tightest bear hug, the same way you would to all the people that we think are so squeaky clean here when we come on Sunday mornings. Trust me, not all of us showered this morning, and not every homeless person has not showered that morning. 
This is people. We're supposed to love them. And this is what it looks like in the family. But if we look like the family out here, it will be winsome. It will draw people. If we pursue the people around us and say, oh, this house is good. Oh, you got to come check out this house. Oh, come visit at least. Come see it. It's good. God's good. Oh, hear what I just learned. This just means so much to me. Oh, God's changing my heart. You should see it. Then we're not just sitting in God's house, in our room, with our headphones on and the door locked, hoping that more people get to come in too. If that was God's plan, I always say this, I love this visual. If his plan was just for us to get saved, as soon as we believed, we would disappear. We would just go to heaven. Because the point is to get out of the world. So, okay, you're saved, you're out. He leaves us here to carry on the work of his son, his church, to build his king, to bring more into his house. These things are seven traits of witnessing. When you're sitting there next to someone, grocery store, wherever, try listening to them. Try sharing a thought. Pray with them. Pray for them. Pray quietly. Pray out loud. Live like you're part of God's house. And then the people who are looking for something better than their dysfunctional world will be drawn to Christ in us. So it starts with our identity. It has to become our reputation. But really, it's also an invitation. It's when people would say, wow, there's something different about you. We need that. And we need to be part of the invitation process and not just hope someone else does. Not us, then who, if not now, when? It's that kind of a thought. We need to know who we are. We need to know what God has called us to do. We need to love other people more than ourselves. So much so that we can't stop loving them. Let's close in a word of prayer. Music team, would you come forward and close us in a song? Father God, thank you for redeeming those who are a part of your family. Thank you for calling us, drawing us, setting up your sovereign plan through all of eternity so that we might cut ties and be made new. I pray that you would commission us out this Sunday, that we'd go out into the world with people in Adam's family, and that we would live as members of Christ's and invite them to join us in your grace. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.